Welcome to Flow Stars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. In this episode of Flow Stars, we're joined by Liam Whitby, who shares his thoughts on the perils of park runs in Florida. And they do the briefing, you know, and it's like give way to other people, you know, and you're here for fun. And the Florida, the Florida one's like, be careful of alligators. The importance of improving patient care. And I think I've got the personality type more for an EQA kind of um, kind of work because it's more trying to see where systems could go wrong. You know, we, we, we're working for the benefit of the patient. And the value of staying young at heart. I was just over the moon to meet King Louis. I don't think you're ever too old for Disney. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole, and today I'm joined by Liam Whitby, who's director of UK NEQAS. Liam, hiya. Hi, Peter. Uh, Thanks so much. I, I've known you for many years, uh, coming to teach on the, the, hand, the, the practical flow cytometry course up at York. But because I'm always teaching on the research side, and you're always teaching on the clinical side, I don't think I got to know you until I was forced to sit on a plane in the freezing cold, for about an hour with a plane that was never going to take off, even though I tried jump starting it several times. And only then did I really get to know you. <laughs> I, I presume you remember that occasion. Um, I'm unlikely to forget it. Um, I, I think it's rather shameful that we were both sort of, we've got front row seats next to the exit door, which was wide open at Leeds Bradford Airport with the wind whistling in across the moors and everybody else on the plane moved. And we were that wrapped up in conversation. We didn't notice until our hands started going numb that everybody else moved to the back of the plane. So, yeah, I do remember it, yeah. I, yeah, we were chuffed. We were really We can't believe we got front row seats. It was like, that was amazing. You know, the seat number's number one. You think, wow, golden ticket. And then to get stuck yeah. like that. And, that, yeah, they couldn't close the doors for health and safety. And it was rather chilly. Yeah, it was, it was uh, particularly cold. But uh, the, the conversation just seemed to distract us all the way. We were just... I seem to remember we just sat talking for sort of an hour, 90 minutes non-stop. And uh, it, it just, the time flew by. Yeah, until we could no longer talk. Che- teeth chattering in the freezing cold. <laughs> the beauty of Leeds Bradford. But that, that was really yeah. good. So I think it's the first time we really did get to speak properly and learn more about yourself. But you know, I never really asked you what, I, I think I got to know you, which hopefully we'll do throughout this and actually get to know you as a person but I didn't really learn much about your science and what you actually do as a day job. So I know you're director of UK NEQAS, but what is UK NEQAS? Yeah, good question. Um, UK NEQAS is the UK National External Quality Assessment Service. So um, essentially, external quality assessment is that um, if you had a pathology test done um, in a hospital in, should we say, Brighton, and you had the same test done in a hospital in Glasgow, you'd want the same result. You'd want consistent results to come through. You wouldn't want one result to say that you're fit and healthy and the other result to say that you're quite unwell. And so external quality assessment monitors that. Um, UK NEQAS is a group of about uh, 20 different centres, each specialising in a different part of pathological science. So histology, genetics, reproductive science, microbiology, haematology, chemistry. Um, And my particular area, UK NEQAS, leukocyte immune phenotyping. We focus on um, hemato-oncology, molecular hemato-oncology, and on flow cytometry. 
Um, so we, we run EQA schemes for that. We've got about 3,000 laboratories around the world that are doing um, EQA for various programs. Yeah, so, so it's called UK NEQAS, and yet it's certainly not UK. You may be based in the UK, but it is a worldwide endeavour. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we're, as an organisation, we're just over, we're 51 years old this year, but back when it started, um, sort of back in 1969, it was very, um, the, the original founders were, were some great scientists, but they, they definitely, they had a UK focus because there wasn't sort of international transit and things like that. So that's the name, it's just the name we've had historically. Uh, but yeah, we've got laboratories worldwide. I, I love the irony that it's 51 years old just, and uh, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, last, last week, Sunday ago, you may have been almost as old as Nequas. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah I, was, I was 50. I'm just, uh, so Nequas started in 1969 and uh, I was born in 1970. So yeah, I'm uh, just a little bit younger than UK Nequas at 50 years old. So yeah. Uh, you both probably thought of at the same time though. Yeah, originally, yeah. Yeah, probably were. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were there at the conception of uh, NEQAS, at least. Which is yeah. So you're also president of NEQAS as well. So somehow you landed both roles simultaneously. And has that been done before? Um, no, I don't think there's anybody else that's quite as, um, as stupid as to, have, as to have done that. Uh, but yeah, as, um, as an organisation, there's 20 centres and we are a registered charity in the UK. Um, and we have a president who kind of um, represents the organisation and will help sort of set the uh, agenda for the organisation moving forward. And I went for that post in um, three years ago uh, to be elected and uh, I got the role, which was um, fantastic. Um, I've done that now for two years and I've, hopefully I'll get another three year term at the next election. Uh, to carry on doing that as well. So yeah, so I kind of got two jobs. One is actually running my own, own EQA service for fluid cytometry and molecular hematology. And the other is assisting all the other EQA services and making sure that they run quite well. This picture here is not everyone. No. But a large portion of the NEQAS team is that across the country. Is that correct? Yeah, we have a, um, a meeting or in the olden days when you could meet, we used to have a face-to-face -face meeting once a year. Um, the, uh, annual consortium to share details and things like that because um, only people in EQA are interested in some of the EQA features such as um, how difficult it is to get a sample of blood into Brazil. Nobody else really cares but EQA people are passionate. You can have a 45 minute lecture on shipments into Brazil and so people send all the different centres will send representatives and that's about half of the UK NEQAS organisation there. Um, the other half had to stay back in the offices and laboratories running the services. What are the biggest challenges for NEQAS uh, currently? What What's the challenging you're facing at the moment? Um, in terms of um, our centre um, for fluid cytometry, it's the um, reallocation of services and the centralisation of services because fluid cytometry is, a, is an art, I, I, I feel. It's, it's not like some, uh, there are some um, different parts of laboratory science which have got a high degree of automation. A lot of fluid cytometry is still operator reliant. And because of that, there is a lot of variation. But at the moment, they're trying to centralise a lot of these services, both within the UK and internationally. So the challenges that we've got is how to actually maintain our level of service when the number of laboratories may well contract, but also how we can, because we're not for profit uh, as, a, as a charity, how we can sort of introduce new 
um, EQA programs to monitor these, should we say, large super centers that before everybody had been doing the same level of tests. And now if, if a center is suddenly doing a lot more tests, how to sort of monitor those people and those laboratories at a different level. So those are, I would say, the main challenges that we've got is maintaining the service. Now, so wearing my research hat, we, we do internal controls, we do repeat experiments and so forth. Uh, and I'm sure all your centers are doing the same. They've got controls, they'll do repeats. But then you'll compare results across centers and you'll yep. find that different centers come out with different results. If, if I remember in your yep. seminar, that, that I've seen you give in the past, correct. That, that from a research perspective, that's pretty scary because I assume if I've repeated things, I publish it, it should be reproducible in anyone's lab. And yet I think what, well, comment on that. What's your thoughts yeah. around that? Yeah, my, my thoughts are that, you know, if it, and I've, I've read several of your papers and I've never tried to replicate them, but as, as you say, they're written so they can be, yeah. <laughs> the, it should real. be so that it can be replicated somewhere else and that can be taken forward um, but the issue with the external quality assessment is we are comparing these there's a lot of other things so um for example um one issue we used to have i'll, I'll say australia um particularly i won't talk about specific laboratories but i will mention countries for example so australia uh, with one of our assays several years ago um they always used to go out of consensus um, in November, December, and January. So they would be outliers. Uh, and it turned out, well, November, December, January, it's their summer. Temperatures were going up. The laboratory hadn't got air conditioning, something as simple as that. So working from your paper, depending on when they set their assay up, it would have, it, you know, it would have worked, they would have replicated your method. But then as they're actually running it through the course of a year, there's all these little pieces of weirdness, you know, Changes in temperature, changes in uh, sometimes changes in kit may well have the same same thing, and it, it could happen that um, the laboratory, although they are supposed to validate it, they, they can be drift. You know, if you accept two SDs on a kit and then it's just inside, and you accept two SDs on the next kit and two SDs on the next kit, before you know it, you're here and you started off there, and you've done nothing wrong. That's that's great. You know, the, the scientists have done a great job, but that drift over time, EQA will help pick that up. Yeah. I guess similar to when we QA our flow cytometers uh, and microscopes, pretty much all our kit, try and encourage the team to always graph the results because mm. then they can see yes. the trend. Because if they always compare back to the last week or the last month, well, it, it, that's pretty close. But you lose that long-term trend, that drift that can happen. I think if you graph it visibly, physically, you see that drift. Our top tip is to always graph your, your, yeah. your QA results over time. Absolutely, absolutely. Graph everything. You, 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 can, you can see the little things and little trends happening. So, like the subtle shifts drifting over time or the sudden shifts. Um, you know, um, I've got one which is a wonderful graph which is flat, uh, is flat and suddenly drops. And it was, um, the example was we've got a new trainee in the laboratory who was supposed to shut the machine down quickly. And he found that a faster way to shut the machine was just to switch it off at the wall. <laughs> See and that so, coming. And so, but in, you know, but you coming in the following morning would have no idea that it wasn't shut down properly. Your results would have been out of consensus. And but plotted that on a on a graph, caught it within sort of two days. You know, day one you think it's a blip, second day you think there's some there's a pattern. Uh, thinking yeah. of turning things on and off very rapidly, what was your first cytometer? Um, it was a BD fax scan. Um, using um, 
Consort 30 software, which was all, um, all number driven. So you had to, if you were drawing gates, um, you had to sort of press one to access do gates, three for a new, for, to, to draw a gate, and then you had to type the numbers. It became, um, you were like a telephone directory when you wanted to do things. You were just sat there hitting numbers. Um, so yeah, three, uh, three color flow cytometer. Yeah, you see, see, I was used to the switchboard with the Mo legacy MoFlow. And that was like oh, the telephone wow. switchboard. So you'd have probably just been ringing into me and I'd have been just changing the connections through. <laughs> I, I love my legacy. I miss my legacy. So, yeah. The Astriosis Ace, yeah. it can be more, more flexible. Uh, but there was just something I always felt at one with the, with the MoFlow, the original MoFlow. Yeah. Just, you could feel but it. You could sense it. It's also... It's also the, um, and I'll, uh, I'll say the, the, the fact scanning, it's like, and the stuff that we did then, we were at um, what we thought was, well, we were at the cutting edge, we were doing, we were doing the work um, in, the, in the hospitals. But as technology's now moved on, um, and you sort of look back at what you originally did, and you think, yeah, I wouldn't do that today. And we wouldn't work in those ways. And, and some of the, because the technology and the understanding of the field has moved on so much. So yeah, I, I miss the original machines I sort of grew up on, but I wouldn't be able to use them in today's world because this we now know so much more and we want to do so much more. So yeah, it's a nice bit of nostalgia, but I wouldn't want, if, if I was being tested, I wouldn't want to use the original machines from back in the sort of eighties. Oh, do you know, well, okay. For, for the analyzers, maybe not, but the sorter, <clears throat> do you know what? It would still work for, for some, not all the applications. Right? Yeah. yeah sorted. You do, do five way sort a lot. Uh, and the, the added colors are being used a lot, but it, it was, yeah, it, it, it was nice for the basic stuff. It was, uh, yeah. although I don't think anyone classed it as basic at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other thing is you, you look back on it and it was like, yeah, you were cutting edge, you were doing absolutely top-notch work, and now it, it's, it, as you say, it's not cutting edge, it's it classed as basic. It would be a training exercise, uh, effectively. Cutting edge, you had a haircut. Yeah, it's all very, very short. Yeah, that's shorter than uh, mine, Liam. Yeah, it's. Uh, I try and keep it short. It disguises the fact of how grey I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Definitely, it doesn't on you, but I think it might on me. Yeah, it does on that side. Even the shadow that side. <laughs> that, that side as well. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> thinking about adaptions and moving technologies. It's quite a big thing when you get to the next cytometer or the new technology, whatever platform it is you're moving, it's actually quite a large step in a lab. And I imagine in your environment, it's a massive step when you change technology, not just from the training, but the results, validating it, certifying it, which, which in the research is maybe more flexible. How to, is that a nightmare in the lab or is that something that's just part of the course and not a big problem? See, um for us, it's um, it's a little bit um, it's a little bit different because uh, because we're not issuing clinical results, we don't have to go to the same level as a clinical laboratory because we are testing our samples before they get issued. But what we need to know is the pitfalls and problems of validation for a wide range of machine. If anybody is using any kind of machine, you're saying, for example, like the MoFlow that you had back in the day, um, we need to be aware of how it works and its problems, pitfalls, and how you'd validate it. Because if the user of one of those machines went out of consensus, we then offer support and scientific advice to help get them back into it. So it's not so much our own local validation that's the problem. It's the fact that we have to be aware of validation procedures and 
problems that could cover the entire range of instruments out in the field. Um, so that's that's um, quite difficult. But we are quite lucky. We've got good relationships with all of the manufacturers. So quite often we'll get machines in for two or three weeks um, just to sort of have a look and so we can familiarise ourselves with them. So that works quite well. Does the, the increased sensitivity, resolution, uh, decreasing noise, I, I'm, our current system with running the APDs, it's, you know, it's, the CVs are much tighter. So our variance in samples, our pullouts, our staining index are greater, are better for it. Is that a problem? For the assays because you're looking at a range of where it falls in between yeah it's um a, a lot it, it depends on a lot of the assays some of the assays are quantitative so when they're counting the cells so for example cd4 enumeration which is so cd4 are the cells that um, you lose during hiv infection so it's important to enumerate those in patients that have got hiv cd34 stem cells for stem cell transplants those are absolute counts so you're you're counting the cells so you can get away a little bit with some of them those are well-established assays yeah. so the increased sensitivity doesn't have that much of an effect it's more on the leukemias and when you start um, when you actually want to know how are these cells being expressed uh, these antigens being expressed is it um, strong is it moderate expression and that's where the difference in sensitivity of the machines can have an effect because you look at the sample on one machine it'd look weak you put it through another machine it'd look moderate staining and you're sort of thinking which is right and that, that is a difference between the uh, levels of sensitivity. And that's something we then have to try and tie in. So everything changing time. I suppose the same for reagents as well, that the, the dyes and everything else that come in. But thinking about moving on, you're, 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 you're getting on now. You're, you're now 50, just slightly younger than I am. So I've got to ask, what did you do for your birthday? Um, my, well, all obviously COVID secure. Um, under the current things um, so uh, we had a couple of uh, we had uh, my daughter's daughter lives at home um, so we had a barbecue lunchtime with my daughter um, and my other daughter lives just across the valley from us she came over so we had a family barbecue um, and then they left um, and then we had another socially distanced barbecue with them um, some close family friends that just live down the road so we just had a barbecue outside all, we've got fortunately we've got quite a large garden uh, my objective was that I didn't want I thought my 50th birthday would be a success if I couldn't remember it um, but I, I actually can remember it so I'm judging is I'm not entirely sure if that if I've met my objectives I, I, I yeah no the thought of not no I no not being able to remember in the morning no that that's yeah. I can't tolerate that anymore I just can't do that anymore maybe when I was younger but no that's a Always something's gone wrong that night when that happens. It's just yes. a guard's let down or some, some, some safety keys dropped out. What did you get for your birthday? I've got, um, I'm sat right now on a Mac. Um, so Alison, my wife, got me a, got me a Mac because I've always wanted one. Um, it's, it's rather like sort of um, trying to tame a lion. When it, when it does its tricks, it's really, really clever, but I do get the vague feeling it wants to bite my hand off at any, uh, any given moment. Um, so I've got that. Um, we've got several bottles of whiskey. Uh, I think there's a lot of people think I might have got a drinking problem. Um, and um, I've also booked myself in um, to get a tattoo. Aha. And so I take it this will be your first. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it will be. It will be. Um, it should have been this coming Thursday, but um, they've had to close. Uh, the the uh, artist has got a cold. 
So, uh, so what, I've got to ask, what's the tattoo going to be of? Um, a laser Calvin line intercepting his cell and looking at the scattering of light? No, um, Calvin and Hobbes. The, the, the quotes that sort of come out of it are quite sort of profound. Well, the truth is, most of it is discover where we are heading when we arrive. Okay, that's true. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. It is true, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, I've never thought I'd end up where I am. So you're going to get out of your cartoon. I'm getting that. You're actually going to get that one? Yeah. Okay, next question. Where? My thigh. I've got quite meaty thighs. So uh, I thought on my thigh gives plenty of uh, scope for um, a suitable canvas. So I, I guess your meaty thighs may come. What sort of run is it? Uh, so that's park run. Saturday morning, 5K. Do love park run. They're sort of phenomenal getting out and keeping fit. And that's a, it's, um, very much a well, it's a worldwide thing, I think, isn't it? Park runs, but it's yeah. uh, well, 5K. You just rock up on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock. There's a 5K yeah. circuit. You have a barcode yeah. and so on. Record your time. So what is your PB then? 23 and a half. Um, so 23 and a half minutes, which is, which is good um, uh, for, for me. Um, it, it doesn't put me anywhere sort of close to the front, but I'm, I'm quite happy with it. But as you say, it is, it's, it's, it's international. I mean, I've, um, I've done one in um, Bergen in Norway because you, your barcode works there and did one in Florida uh, when I was there on vacation. Uh, although the Florida one was quite interesting. They do the briefing, you know, and it's like, give way to other people, you know, and you're here for fun. And the Florida, the Florida one's like, be careful of alligators. And he's sort of like, yeah, you're really funny. And like, no, we're not joking. Be careful of alligators. Um, that I wasn't the day I did the 23 and a half minutes, though. Yeah, that wasn't your PB there, then. No, you'd have thought it would be, wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't look behind you. No. Yeah, never look back at that point. <clears throat> so that obviously keeps you in trim, keeps you fit. Uh, yeah. I, I, you live in a hilly part of the country, so I presume you're used to hill running as well on your weekdays, maybe? Yeah, when we, when we go out to train around here, it's, uh, so we're, we're just inside Derbyshire, so it is quite hilly. Uh, we're just out, out, outside Sheffield, just in, into Derbyshire, so it's hilly. So yeah, plenty of hill training around here. Um, which I is, was there recently. You know, tweet, I, actually, I, I was down, yeah, Derbyshire, West Yorkshire border, just to, uh, right. for the bearded vulture that is in the UK at the moment. Right. Okay. Uh, you must have picked that up in the local news. No, no. <laughs> actually, beautiful countryside though. So actually, we didn't care if we saw it or not too much. We had two attempts. First time we failed, but loved the environment so much. We came back down. Did yeah. get it second time, but beautiful part of the country to, to live in. Moving back into work. Your career path is slightly different. I mean, you've got this really prestigious post. You've got a degree in biomed. So you obviously had the biomedical interest through it and then a master's in uh, pathology. Is that yeah. correct? Well, pathological sciences. So I, I, think, I think anyone who does science is pathological. Uh, so what, what did you then do after that? What was your career path to get to where you are now at the pinnacle of it? <sighs> I think it's, um, I don't know, see for, see, for me, I think it's more of a career path as well. I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. It's more about deciding on a career path. Um, I, I knew from an early, from a sort of um, doing my O-levels and my A-levels, I wanted to be involved in medicine in a sort of, in the medical field. Um, I wasn't um, a good enough student at A-level to get the grades 
for a for a medical degree. Um, I was a little bit more, um, well, you know what you like when you're a teenager. You don't pay attention. You don't study hard. Um, so I missed on, on my shot for that. So then the opportunity came up to study biomedical science and to work as a biomedical scientist in the NHS and to train as a biomedical scientist in the NHS. So I took that post up, um, trained and got my uh, BSc um, and then took it further and got my master's. And then, so the initial career path was um, to get the to get state registered because um, biomedical scientists and clinical scientists in the NHS we're, we're registered um, on a central register. So the first part was to get the degree so I could be a state registered scientist, so I could be responsible for my own work. Um, and then the master's was more to sort of give me the extra knowledge so I could look at expanding my role and moving into different areas. So um, took that took me about my first six or seven years to get my degree and my master's. Then I did a two or three years building up my knowledge actually of working in a laboratory. And then I moved across to external quality assessment round about the year 2000. Uh, the opportunity came in to move into the sort of uh, UK and Equas, working in flow cytometry. And I'd always loved flow cytometry. It was always my passion. Um, I, I worked in a, the hematology service, did routine hematology, blood transfusion, um, hemoglobinopathies and flow cytometry and coagulation. But flow cytometry always, I don't know, just always seemed a fit for me. It was always the interesting part. It's always where I gravitated to. So when the job came up, I moved into that area. Um, and then I've just sort of stayed there ever since. Um, and I, I think I've got the personality type more for an EQA kind of um, kind of work because it's more trying to see where systems could go wrong. You know, we, we, we're working for the benefit of the patient to make sure that the patient gets the best results. So it's looking at the testing system and thinking, let's just check that that works okay. And so that, and, and so of, um, it gives you a different mindset. You, you see a piece of kit, you see an assay, and you think, where could that break? And, and it's sort of making sure that there is that resilience there to sort of uh, give confidence in the test. So it's, I think it's, it fits my mindset. And I've just kind of stuck in that, or, well, stuck at UK NEQAS and kind of, as time's gone on, I've worked, worked and progressed through the organisation. As we've grown as well. When I started, there were three of us working there, and I was number three in, in the sort of hierarchy. Now we've got a team of over 20 in Sheffield, and I've managed to sort of progress up. So what have you found uh, at work, the most challenging time in your career? Can you think back of what, what you found or something that you found really challenging, difficult um, period? There's been, a, there's been several um, times I'd, I'd, class as, uh, I'd class as challenging. Besides um, this recording, besides this interview. Yeah, I mean, obviously, COVID, yeah, this is sort of uh, fairly, fairly wild at the moment. Um, but um, before that, I mean, I, I also work um, with Alison, who's my wife. We actually met when we were both training. Um, she then went to work in the blood transfusion service. I worked at Nequas, but then a post came up at Nequas and she applied and got it. So we worked together. So it's, um, that's been quite good. And we so do, so because you're originally- You're not working with Alison's the most challenging thing, no? No, it's yeah. not. We, we started off as laboratory partners, so it's quite natural for us. Um, but when um, Alison got ill, um, she had um, a severe illness, she had breast cancer a few years ago. That was challenging for me because every day she was going through what she was going through and I was still having to turn up to work and do the job and actually keep things, things running. So personally, that was the most challenging time for me. How, um, how did you balance that? Sorry? How did you balance that? Because that's quite a big deal, you know, yeah. to, to balance that side. And 
obviously in your early career, you'd have had children, you'd have had to balance the work life there, but actually caring for someone is, is also probably a bigger challenge, a yeah. bigger stress. Yeah, and it is. He was trying to manage two things, trying to manage it, the situation at home, because obviously Ali's the love of my life. And so, you know, so trying to manage that, but also trying to manage the situation at work where we're a member of staff down and we've got a long-term absent because somebody's ill. So it's then increasing workload and then adding the stress there. So that was, that was definitely one of the most challenging times, I would say, that uh, I feel I've worked through. So, so, she gave, so she gave you double the stress then? Yeah, uh, yeah. Hence, hence the problem. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that does fade, sort of fade a little bit in terms of, sort of um, the larger scale challenge that, we've all, that everybody's facing at the moment with, with COVID. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was, it was not a good time. And also it's, it's the resilience that you, you also need when you've got things going off in your personal life to still come into work and do the job because there's a patient at the end of it. You know, there's, there's patients there, there's, there's results that, that need um, external quality assessment doing. You've just got to come in and grind, and, and grind through it sometimes. You've got to have that resilience. And I think that's, that's one of the things that um, I really think is helpful is in any field is having the resilience to sort of be able to sort of do the job. Um, and if, if you're there to do the job, do the job well. And then when you get home. So do you still enjoy your job? I love it. I so love so it. that must help as well. The fact that, yeah. you know, almost, uh, to be able to enjoy your job does give you a bit of respite as well. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's, and it's the, it's the day-to-day, it's the day-to-day challenges of it that I love as well. It's like no two days are the same. You know, we have a schedule of um, exercises that are going out throughout the year. So on any given week, we all know what's happening. We're making samples, we're shipping samples, we're looking at data. So we all know what's happening. But even with that, these are the day-to-day challenges. These are the, the little sort of little pieces of weirdness that, that throw up that, that need troubleshooting. There's new machines coming online that we have to develop EQA for. These new techniques come online. And so it's uh, every day is different. So yeah, I love it. I, I couldn't imagine, imagine doing anything else. Besides traveling? Because actually, I, I, I guess... Yeah. During that period, it was difficult. You probably couldn't travel much either. I, I'd be presuming yeah. go with that. But yeah. I, I think Bangkok. Bangkok, yeah, Thailand. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, now I've got no idea where some of these are. Charleston, South Carolina. And the ship is? Um, it's the uh, USS Yorktown. Okay. You can go and have a wander around that. It's, it's quite cool. Aircraft carrier, yes. American aircraft carrier, yes. yes. And, well, I presume Venice. Yeah. India, uh, Jaipur. One of the, I will seriously say Jaipur, one of the top five days of my life. I'm obliged to say the top three would be getting married and having two kids. Um, seeing a solar eclipse was also up there, but Jaipur, Jaipur was number five. It's an amazing city. I mean, India's an amazing place. Oh, so yeah. that's a solar eclipse? Yeah, that was in Charleston that we saw that. That was uh, 2017. I would advise everybody to put it on the bucket list. It's an amazing site. Was it 2000? Oh gosh, what year was it in this country we had a solar eclipse? Oh, about 98, wasn't it? Was it 98? Something 2002. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was too lazy to go down to Cornwall. So instead of going 300 miles to Cornwall, I went 3,000 miles to South Carolina. <laughs> I, I, I'm just interested. Table Mountain. South Africa? We, uh, Yes, South Africa, yeah. 
I've been fortunate, and that's that's one of the things I think. If you do your work and you're you're enjoying your work, and you are also very fortunate, which I have been. So we've been involved in lots of work that's uh, that's unique. Um, EQA with these only two or three EQA providers doing flow cytometry around the world. So our data, we've got a phenomenal amount of data. We can give a lot of insight, and you gather gather a lot of knowledge through that. So um, I'll be very fortunate myself and my team that we get to in the olden days before uh, before COVID get to travel and lecture internationally and share that knowledge because that's one of the things of UK Equus is when I said we're a charity we're actually we're not a healthcare charity uh, we're educational that's our, our we want better patient testing through education so we go out and we run courses in places and we'll we'll give lectures that was after I'd just run um, a one week course in South Africa on flow cytometry um, so uh, so yeah. It, it, this reminds me of that, air, uh, that, that sitting on the airplane with you just rabbiting in my ear. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it, it does look very much that way. That was also um, India. Always go to supermarkets in different countries. It's eye-opening because you'll see so many different foods and things. Yeah, I, I, we don't see many big market stalls anymore, not, not fruit and veg ones. So there are some, but not, yeah. not oh, in yeah. the yeah. that they used to but be. Sure. I think even supermarkets are more limited now than what you more about volume than than variety maybe yeah it's all homogenous it's all it's all the sort of same stuff you've got sort of green peppers yellow peppers red peppers and that's that's it whereas you 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 go um you you go to a supermarket in in kuwait or you go to a market store in india and the variety of stuff is amazing and i think it's it's good to sort of see things like that because it sort of it widens your horizons i think um travel i have been fortunate to be able to travel through my role but it also opens your eyes into different ways of working and how different um, different countries operate and things that you might be able to do differently to improve things over there as well. And it's uh, definitely worth doing. If, if you're fortunate enough to travel for work, do. If you can't travel for work, do try and travel normally because it, it broadens the mind. It really does. I think... Uh... Thinking of that variety, I think yeah, uh, to mention because it is like the colours of the fluorochromes. And if you're into fluorescent proteins, you've got your watermelons, you've got your bananas, your honeydews, you've got no honeydew melons, it's not watermelon yet. I haven't done that one yet. Yeah. Uh, you've got your banana, you've got your cherries, you've got your plums, you've got your tomatoes, your orange. So you've got all these fruits. But actually, even in our own world, uh, they're the fluorescent proteins, but even the antibody dyes, there's more and more different dye types coming out. Even today, I was opening up for a whole new dye type. Frustratingly, I, unlike a vegetable where you can cut it and see what's inside it to understand it, what's good, what's bad, a lot of the new fluorochromes that come out, we don't know the details. It's not just straight organic molecules. And there's a lot of proprietary information. I'd love to know more behind what's the scene. And yeah, there's a lot hidden that they never used. I remember Oregon Greens and Lexa dyes, when they came out, they were published. Yes. Not so much the case at the moment. Now, and uh, I'm um, assisting a couple of um, a couple of Italian colleagues. They've written a book on flow cytometry, and it's got an extensive section on the different dyes. And they've asked me to proofread it um, as a as a native English speaker. So I'm doing that for them. And the number of dyes in there where they go into great detail is it's phenomenal. It's a, it's a really good book. But then there are other dyes where they just say um, the name of the dye. Say the structure is unknown at this time, and that's because the manufacturers have yeah. obviously um, discovered the, the molecule and patented it. <clears throat> Um, which is, is good. Obviously, I'm in favour of intellectual property, but it can lead to sort of unknown effects if you don't know um, if, if you don't know if it's a positive or a negatively charged fluorochrome. That can have an effect on some of the assays that you're going to run straight away. Um, yeah, 
it does mean we need to do more control experiments, more pilot experiments to see what they, what, what else they could be used for, because it's just tied up in that. But, but yes, it, for us, the big thing is we're getting better dyes and more options. And that, that's a good thing. I think it's been great. You know, I, I think 10 years ago, flow cytometry wasn't going forward at a rapid pace. Dyes were trickling out. And it's probably the colors that were helping. But actually, the technology is now really blossomed. We've got far more lasers, detectors, detector types are changing. We've got more colors, even new approaches, removing colors in some cases. Yeah. But wow, it's exploded. Uh, yeah. And so much. And actually, it's quite hard to keep on top of everything, uh, which is oh, why actually the publications helped keep on top. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Publications are the key. I think is always sort of read as much as you can is, is always the thing is sort of try and um, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm a peer reviewer for several journals. So I do get to see um, pre publication uh, papers in terms of things that are current, but as well as that sort of uh, reading the latest papers and things along those lines is, uh, is very important, but it's good because there's, there's lots of apps and things out now. Uh, that'll... You introduced me to, uh, to one of those apps actually, which has been really useful. <laughs> Yeah, well, you just put in you put in a couple of keywords. So, if you're interested in um, flow cytometry, you put that in. If you were interested in um, malaria, you'd put that in, and it, it will automatically search the internet and populate your phone for you with brand new yeah. papers on yeah, a daily ping basis. Email on a monthly basis, or when a new publication in that area pings straight in. Yeah, it's it's superb. It, it makes it it makes the sort of days of going down to the library and sort of going through the shelves and pulling out the bound journals and scrolling through them. I mean. Those were, I mean, I look back on those days with a little bit of fondness, but I don't miss them. Just having it pinged on my phone and say, you've got a new paper is like, yep, that's great. I'll read that. It's much better. So, so, so thank you for that. Cause I actually, I did pick that up and I did adopt that. Yeah. The other thing uh, that you actually introduced to me was a uh, tiger stripe coffee, which uh, it was your birthday. You came up to teach on York and as for a birthday present, you gave me on your birthday, <laughs> A bag of coffee beans, which is tiger stripe, and actually I froze them, so I'll have them very occasionally. It's quite, a, it's quite, it's more robust than my normal. Oh, yeah. But uh, no, I saved it for today to celebrate your birthday. So cheers, Liam, for your birthday yeah, on that. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, I've, uh, I've finished my coffee, so yeah, cheers. It's a good afternoon coffee, that one. Oh, look at that! Always have to outdo me. Go on, get yeah, your glass yeah. up. Your glasses. Ah, oh, I so wish. Do you know I've got a mini one of these as well. Yeah, oh, I shouldn't have that. Yes, you know, is uh, yeah with uh, with caffeine. I've I'm a I've been addicted to caffeine three or four times in my life, and I've each time I've come off it through cold turkey or gently weaning myself off. I'm addicted to it again right now, and I'm going to ride it all the way through for the next sort of fifty years. I'm just uh, I'm giving in. I'm a slave to it. I, I so actually I'm similar to you. I, I'm a strong decaf person and then ride it on those occasional days where you really want to ride it. But those days seem to be more and more frequent and needing to ride it. So yeah, it, yeah. it's, yeah, the thin edge of wedge is already in my door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm already uh, moving towards, but it's a great coffee. So thank you. I, it, it, yeah. I do prefer blondes <laughs> for beans, but actually yeah. for an afternoon, one doesn't hold up. This holds up really well. So well, on the days when I'm brave enough to have more than something in the morning. Yeah. Well, um, I was going to bring you some more, but obviously uh, this, the RMS course is a great course and look forward to it every single year. Uh, that's why, I mean, usually 
I will say last year was the first time I'd ever worked on my birthday in my entire career. Um, I always take my birthday off um, as, as part of my annual leave. But last year when I was asked to talk on the RMS, um, I came up and liked it. So I think it's a great course. And it's, it's an honour to be asked. Um, but I thought, yeah, I've got to get you some beans. And I'd have got you some this year, but obviously the course had to be uh, delayed. But yeah. that's fine. I'll bring you some next year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting this thing. Make sure it's next year. Well, it makes it, at least it keeps my name on the sort of uh, list of uh, lecturers as right. well. That's probably the only thing that's keeping me there. No, the course feedback's always excellent, and, and that quality analysis side is really essential for the clinical sessions of that course. Thinking, so we've gone to sort of uh, challenging times. What about a career highlight for you? Oh, um, I'm not talking well, about your grey hair as a highlight. Yeah. I'm talking about your career highlights. Um, for me, it's, it's sort of um, when we're sort of delivering and, and improving the services. So, I mean, for me, um, one of them, uh, so in terms of Nequas, um, looks like I mean, if you're typing, was um, we introduced a new program and uh, I sort of looked at all the scoring systems, how we monitor performance. And um, at the time, we had 15 different programs and we had 14 different scoring systems. And so one program, if you scored zero, you were perfect. And then in another program, if you scored zero, you were really out of consensus. And the problem was is that laboratories could be in both programs. So they get, on one hand, zero is bad. On the other hand, zero is good. Um, and I managed to sort of rejig the entire report process and actually sort of streamline it, um, sort of redesign how we actually do it. So it's more informative to laboratories. And that was a project, that was sort of a personal thing that I sort of took on and led. I was really, really proud of that. Um, on a more Nequas-wide um, um, sort of uh, viewpoint, recently with uh, COVID, um, there was a, there's a need for sort of COVID EQA, and there's, several, there's different centres doing uh, COVID EQA. We've got a microbiology centre in London. Um, we've got an immunology centre in Sheffield. Uh, but for the first um, COVID EQA programme, there was a need to get it out quite quickly. And from... Um, the first, well, basically, we, I pulled together a special task force and we pulled the task force together. And from the first meeting of the task force to the exercise closing and reports going out was two weeks to actually design an EQA program, recruit the laboratories, get the material, get the material out, get the results back, analyze the results. And there was, that was a, a pan nequas that we got people in London analyzing the data. We got people in Birmingham um, building the computer system. We got uh, people in Sheffield um, packing the samples. And so that was a really proud moment to turn something like that around in two weeks. And, and the normal it, time would be? Um, for thinking about an EQA program and getting one out the door, about six months. Um, you know, it's because you'd, you'd sort of think about it. You'd sort of, you'd, you'd do it small scale. You do some little send outs locally, but it's like, no, we need it. We need it now. And, um, and I think that reflected really well on the entire organization. So that was a particular high for me. How stressful was it at the time? Oh, absolutely abysmal. For um, I, I don't think I slept properly for that entire two weeks. Yeah, yeah it, it's a great ride. It, it's oh a yeah, yeah, you, it, it, it's yeah, you love it, but the stress I can imagine being. Yeah. Oh yeah, the stress was um, was horrendous. Um, I didn't, you know, I, did, I didn't sort of um, take any formal measurements. Um, but yeah, for for about two weeks, I didn't sleep. Um, thinking about different permutations and what could happen. Um, and, and, every, and that's true, of, I think, of everybody that was involved. It's not just me. It wasn't all on my shoulders. It was, uh, you know, I was um, 
coordinating it, but there were lots of other people with um, involved, and they were all the same. Everybody, everybody was stressed, but it, it needed to be done. And uh, so the team, obviously, you coordinate a lot of that and talking to a lot of the team. How good natured were they? Even though it's stressful, were they were they showing angst and stress, or were they actually fairly jovial throughout it? I I, I kind of like being a bit. I'm a more positive person. Um, I think the, the vast the um, I think the the vast majority of the times it was there's a, you know it, people were jovial. We've got a mountain to climb, and and on the rare occasions when people would sort of get a little bit um, deflated, the rest of everybody else would sort of um, pick them up a little bit, and, and we could get through it together. It, it was all about teamwork and everybody being there for each other. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was stressful. Um, there was several sort of uh, stressful emails and phone calls and things, but those were the um, those were uh, those were the exception and not the rule. Now, I presume that uh, so COVID was obviously is an exception and that that intensity, but there must be times in work that that, that that's not that uncommon where there's crunch points where that type of feeling comes about. Oh yeah, it's, that, um, that's very true. There's, there's lots of sort of different crunch points that we have in terms of we've got a very fixed schedule that we have to sort of stick to in terms of getting the samples out and getting the material out, getting the results back. Um, and then it's also um, when we do have um, performance issues to actually follow it up with laboratories because there's patients, as I say, at the end of it. And that's, that's a crunch point because we've got to get that action in place really quickly. And that can be quite stressful to sort of get that delivered to actually um, improve patient safety and improve the quality of the results. Yeah, which is a big responsibility. So when you get home at night, how do you wind down? Do you watch a team? What would you rather do? Book? Or a film? Um, it depends on my mood. Most often it'll be a film. Um, I'm, yep. I, am trying to, I am trying to read more um, because it, um, I, th I think, again, reading just reading anything, I think is just good. It just, you just take things in. Um, so I set myself um, reading challenges quite often as one of my New, Year my New Year's resolutions quite often tend to be reading challenges. Um, so I prefer to read but I'm fundamentally lazy, so more often than not, I'll watch a film. So, okay, so TV or a film? Uh, yeah, more often than not, TV. Um, sort of uh, various TV series. Um, if, if you're going to sort of say what kind of thing, uh, I'll be honest, and you could, you could see it on the, um, on the picture of me running. Um, superheroes, Marvel, um, is, is my predominant thing. So the Marvel TV series, the Marvel... Um, the Marvel shows, Marvel movies. Yeah, it is me. I mean, on one hand, it's a little bit sad for a 50-year-old guy to be running in a Captain America top. Uh, but on the other hand, there's the 12- and 13-year-old boy who got sort of uh, bullied at school for liking comics. You know what? It's my time. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's I just thought you looked marvellous. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we uh, haven't done many puns today, so I thought I had to get a one or two. You have to get that one in. So, so come on, 50-year-old man. What's this about? It's just a photo I love. I'm really happy about that. King Louis is one of my favourite Disney characters. I got to meet him in Disneyland. I was just over the moon. You asked for several photographs of, of travels, and that is genuinely one of my favourite photographs. I was just over the moon to meet King Louis. I don't think you're ever too old for Disney. Yeah. As, soon as, you go, as soon as you go through the gates at Disneyland, you're, you're eight years old again. You are just a big kid. So what sort of... So we, oh, you told us your genre. So... Quick fire, quick fire, so quick answers. Eat in or eat out? Um, eat out. Eat out, definitely. Okay. Wash up or cook? 
Uh, wash up. Yeah, wash up. Um, I'll, uh, I'm de- I can cook, but I'm very much, um, I'm going to say a scientist cook. And I would say that in, the, in terms of I will follow the protocol and the recipe to the letter. You're I'm joking. Intuitive. Oh, I am. I'm terrible. You Step can't. one. Yeah. No, says, that says, that never works. Ingredients change. It's not like the scientific grade ingredients you're buying from your supermarket. They always vary. You have to go with the f- baking, maybe. Yeah. But Do when it comes them. to your dinners and stuff, yeah, it has to be. You have to always modify it as you go through and i, I just Thank can't alison's a cook then alison has to do the cooking not because i can't but just because i can't do it in time um if, if i was to cook then we wouldn't be eating until sort of 10 o'clock at night um I, so, and I, I guess by the insinuation you'd rather eat out than in that you don't like her cooking either she'll kill you after this <laughs> <laughs> well i don't i'd rather eat out than in because they don't make me wash the pots yeah, have you not got a dishwasher? Yeah, but it still needs loading and unloading. Uh, that's, that's my morning. I get up early in the morning before I go running or swimming and I'll unload the dishwasher first thing right. in the morning before anyone gets up as quietly as I can. So I ask everyone to order the dishwasher really methodically so it minimises the noise of things like getting cutlery out. All the knives right. in one area. All the, so it's not rattle, rattle, rattle so I don't wake the family. All right. I'll do... oh, have, uh, have to send me... You'll have to send me a uh, couple of screenshots for that, so I can uh, try and mimic it here. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a bit OCD, maybe the way I want it loaded. <laughs> everyone, everyone knows it. It makes sense. Makes life unloading it isn't a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Loading it one thing at a time. You can put things in the right place, and unloading so much easier. Yeah, it's yeah. just like keeping your shelves on in your lab stacked in the right order. It's easy to put one thing in the right place, and then when you're doing getting lots, it's easier to download. It's, Everything's there. Yeah. Yeah. The house is like a lab. It should be well stocked and well ordered. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely agree. So just thinking, because we're coming towards an end, uh, and I'll let you think about something in a minute. What do you think is the biggest unmet need or the challenge ahead? I say you're probably a technologist. Is it a technology? Is it probes? Is it an assay type? I think for me, um, I'm going to say technology, but with a little bit of a of a twist. I think the uh, the thing is, in terms of as we're moving forward, I mean, it was great. Uh, I, I mentioned the fax scan, and that was a three color machine. So when you actually got the results, it's in three dimensions. And you and me, with three dimensional creatures, we exist in a three dimensional space. We can find things forward, left, right, up, and down. I mean, I, so- I'm, I'm so, no, no, I've got to stop you. Yeah. I'm 4D because I have time as a dimension as well. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. 4D, that does help. But if that was also true, you'd be able to find things you put down yesterday. <laughs> I don't go back. I never look backwards in time. I'm always going forwards, but I'm not yeah. stuck in time with my comics. Yeah, well, yeah, like me. <laughs> but as you move up in dimensions, you can't... So at the moment, we've got doing 10 colours. We've got 12 colour machines. And your, your brain's not set up for 12 dimensions. Um, so for me, I think te- the technology is the better software tools and better algorithms so that we can analyze this massive data because we've got all this great data. And quite often I'll, I'll see people still doing it on one-dimensional histograms. So we've got 12 colors, but they're not actually. It's, they're doing 12 single colors, not one 12-color yeah. asset. And I think it's the high-dimensional data and analysis technology that's really going to lift us onto the next level. Because I think, I'll be honest, I think we're missing things in terms of 
we're yeah. not able to see what we what's really there because there's so much data. I think even with high dimensional analysis as it stands today, it is still directed by what we ask it and how we ask it to analyze it. I do think that actually we need computer learning to an extent to start identifying subpopulations and trends. High intensity versus you know, high intensity populations versus low intensity populations, not just positives and negatives, and yeah. start to find trends that we just haven't picked up on. And that could be vital, and we haven't got there yet. No, no. And, and, I think, and I think whoever does crack that is going to really sort of lift flow cytometry to the next level. Um, I know there are some tools out there at the moment, but nothing's really made it. Everything's showing a lot of promise. Nothing's really made it to the sort of big time and sort of general yeah. sort of uh, adoption. So, uh, yeah, it, Sorry, Liam. The high dimension analysis <laughs> has certainly gone forward. And I think there'll be those that think it's uh, the, the, they've cracked, cracked their nut, but they haven't. You know, they, they've they maybe found the cracker to crack yeah. the nut. And, and it, 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 it you know, cracks the shell a bit, but they haven't got to the center of it yet. No, no. And uh, yeah, I think that's. That's definitely where I think we can uh, we can improve, and I think that will help a lot of a lot of um, issues, like you say, with a bit of machine learning in there as well. I think that will also that that will take us forward some really. I think flow cytometry is doing some fantastic work, but I think that will really lift us up um, even okay. further. To your clinical side, it's fascinating. To say you know we've now got ten colours, twelve colours, and the clinical market is so much further, obviously much further behind than research, which proves the higher higher colour loads of the new technologies. But you find it frustrating that you that you haven't got quick access or easy access to twenty plus colours. Yeah, it is. It's difficult for us because we've not always got access to every single machine. And but yeah, twenty plus colours, um, that'd be great to sort of have access to that. But um, because we are a clinical, we're providing the service for the clinical end. That's where we we do focus. But we do look at the new machines and try and get um, get some hands on time with them and get familiar with them, so we know what's coming over the horizon. Yeah. And it is. So we are up to the hour. So I'm going to ask you one last question, which is, do you have a favorite science joke? And if not, just what is your best joke? I've got a favorite science joke. It took me, you know, in fairness, you did, uh, you did pre-warm it. I'm going to try and tell it. Uh, so sure. guy goes into a library, says to the librarian, have you got that uh, book about uh, Pavlov's dogs and Schrodinger's cat? The librarian says, well, it rings a bell, but I'm not sure if it's in or out. <laughs> <laughs> that is epic. That's so bad. It's epic. <laughs> it's like you've got, you've got two lots. You've got physics, you've got biology. It's awesome. Nice play on words. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> on that note... Liam, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been terrific to hear about a different career path to what uh, certainly those doing their PhDs at the moment and they'll be looking forward. It is a different career path. But it's equally rewarding, maybe even more rewarding for some people if that's very right. And you're actually having a direct impact in yeah, the clinical, think, medical yeah, and this, this, environment. Yeah, there's, there's lots of different sort of careers for good scientists in the NHS. Uh, there really are these, you know, these actually sort of working. They've got clinical scientists post, biomedical scientists post. Um, I've got um, three of my staff uh, PhDs. Um, one of my staff is doing a PhD, um, so, and there's plenty of opportunity within the NHS. And, and I think the thing is, if people are driven um, and are 
are keen. They'll succeed in any field. Uh, but I do think the NHS, I think, is a, is a great field. And like you say, it's, you're giving direct benefit to, to patients. And uh, uh, I think that's, you know, that's beyond compare.